Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 14, and I want to bring your attention down to verse number 28, Luke chapter number 14, and if you look at verse number 28, the Bible says this, for which of you intending, and I want you to notice that word intending, the word intending means uh, meaning to or having a desire to, he says, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, and I want you to notice that word haply, and if you like underlining things in, in, the, in your Bible, maybe underline that word haply. The word haply is an older word. We don't use it a lot today. It means by chance or almost by luck, you know, just, just you know, on a whim. He says, lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. He looks silly. He's funny. Look at verse 30, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Basically, what Jesus is teaching in this uh, text here in this passage of scripture is that if you want to accomplish anything, if you want to fulfill anything, if you want to build a tower, if you want to win a war, if you want to do anything with your life, nothing happens by chance. Nothing just happens. Everything that gets done, everything that gets built, every battle that gets won happens because someone decided it was going to happen. Someone took purpose to make it happen. And the the key is that someone made a plan to make it happen. And as we are continuing this series about financial freedom, and, and really it's about you know, having liberty financially, not having to be in bondage because of debt or because of just not, you know, uh, managing your finances well. And here's what you need to understand. To set yourself up or to set up your family to have financial freedom, financial independence, it only happens if you plan it and if you purpose for it to happen. You've got to understand this. People don't get out of debt just by mistake. It's not like they just wake up one day and they're like, oh, you know, I'm 40 years old and my house is paid off. How did that happen? You know, I mean, if you if you pay off your house early, guess what? You did that on purpose. If you get out of debt, you did that on purpose. If you save to make major purchases, you do that on purpose. If you prepare for retirement, you did that on purpose. And, 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 I, and I know this sounds simplistic, but I, I really need you to hear it because one of the main things I've realized over the last five years of pastoring and helping people, kind of counseling them in all sorts of different areas, but a lot of them financially, you know, when they struggle financially, people will ask me advice. One thing I've noticed is this. Broke people think that non-broke people got lucky. And you've got to understand this. People who have money, people who are financially set, people who have financial freedom, it did not just happen, okay? Now, some of you are thinking, well, what if they were just born into, into, into money? You know, that research has been done about millionaires in the United States of America, and we're not, your goal ought not be a millionaire, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But research has been done about millionaires in the United States of America. Do you know that 80% of millionaires in the USA were first-generation rich? Meaning they were born just like you and I. And they had a plan, and they worked the plan, and it worked. And I'm not advocating that your goal should be to be a millionaire. Like I said, we'll talk about that in a minute. We talked about that last week. What I'm trying to say is this. 
Any success in life, whether it's health, whether it's finances, whether it's relationship, happens when someone decides, somebody purposes, someone makes a plan. You don't just wake up one day and say, man, I don't know what happened. I just lost 40 pounds. I'm in the best shape of my life. It doesn't doesn't happen. You decide that you're going to do something and you get a plan. And your finances is not different. You need a plan for your finances. You need to set up a a plan and a game plan and a strategy for the war on your finances and to build up your family financially. And this morning, and you know, this series is a little different. It doesn't really feel a lot like I'm preaching. I'm kind of more teaching uh, a lot of these things, and it won't be long. Don't worry. We'll we'll go. We'll have the series for four or five weeks, and then we'll we'll get into preaching again. But this morning, I want to talk to you about having a plan for your spending. All right, and that's a nice way of using a word that a lot of people people don't like to use, which is a budget. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, and please don't raise your hand, but I want to ask you this question. How many people do you know, and, do, and are you personally, you know, living financially off of a written plan for your spending, a plan to control your money, a, a budget? You know, are you living on a budget? Now, you say, well, well you know, why is that important? Go with me to the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 23. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. And uh, go to Proverbs chapter number 23. Proverbs is right after the book of Psalms. Proverbs chapter number 23. A spending plan helps you control your money. Your money needs to be controlled. Proverbs 23. Look at verse number 4. Proverbs 23, if you open up just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after the book of Psalms, you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, and look at verse number 4. Proverbs 23 and verse 4. And I, and I want to just, we, we talked about this last week, but I, I'm probably going to mention it every sermon in this series, and I want you to see it even here. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. Labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom, all right? The context of studying money, the context of studying how to manage your money and how to steward your money always has to be under this idea in Scripture that God's will is not that you would labor to be rich. God does not want you to love money. God does not want you to purpose in life, to make money. God is not against you having money, remember from last week, but God doesn't want you to love money. Don't turn there, but let me just read a couple verses for you. We, we looked at them last week, but I just want to remind you, 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all evil. While some, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced himself through with many sorrows. Matthew 6.24 says, no man can serve two masters. Remember that from last week? For either he will love the one, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Remember the word mammon means material wealth. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and things. You cannot serve God and material wealth. So the context is always this. We ought not be laboring to be rich. We ought not be working towards having a desire to be, you know, just wealthy and rich and having a love for money. But God does want us to steward our finances as well. Now notice, in, in verse number 4 of Proverbs 23, he says, Let, Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. But notice what he says in verse 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Now that phrase, that which is not, 
That phrase basically means that which is not there or, or that which is gone, that which is missing. Now he says, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Now notice what he says. For riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Here's what the proverb is teaching us. Money has a tendency to disappear. Isn't that true? I mean, if, if, you've not, if you don't believe that, you know, uh, t- put, put a $20 bill or a $50 bill or a $100 bill in your pocket on Monday morning, and I promise you by Friday, it'll be gone. And you'll think, I don't even know what, how did I spend that $100? And you spend $3 here and $2 there, $5 there and $20 there, and you stop that Starbucks and you stop that Jamba Juice, and before you know it, you're like, what happened to all that money? See, money has this amazing ability, and I love how Proverbs says it, because he says, for riches certainly make themselves wings. It's like they sprout out some wings, and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. See, money has a tendency to disappear. Money has a tendency to go away. Money has a tendency to, when you look for it, it's not there, it's gone, it is not. And you have to learn to control your money, if you're going to succeed financially, go to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, look at verse 24. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 24. The, the, the quote in the bulletin this morning was, a budget is telling your money where to go, not wondering where your money went. And see, some of you are struggling financially, not because you don't have the money that you need, but you're just not allocating it well, you're not controlling it well, and your money is just sprouting up wings and disappearing. And it's disappearing to Starbucks, and it's disappearing to the drive-thru, and it's disappearing to this and that, and you never intended it for it to go there, but you didn't have a plan for your finances. You cannot succeed financially without a plan. Are you there in Proverbs 27? Look at verse number 24. Notice what he says. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. See, you got to understand this. Money comes and goes. And by the way, that's why you ought not pursue money with your life. Because money comes and it goes. It, it, it doesn't endure forever. Riches are not forever. They disappear. They go away. They certainly make themselves wings. But notice verse number 23, okay? Proverbs 27, verse 23, right before verse 24. Notice what he says. Be thou diligent. Now, the word diligent means it's hard work. You know, it's the opposite of being lazy or slothful. He says, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. Now, understand this. In the time that the book of Proverbs was written, the society that this proverb was written to was written to farmers and agriculture, and basically their flocks and their herds were how they measured money. Now, today, you and I, for the most part, we live in you know, Sacramento, we live in the city, and we're not you know, farming necessarily, and, and you, we have bank accounts and savings accounts and, and check accounts and all those things, and we understand that. But here's what he's saying. He says, you need to know the state of your flocks. You need to look well to your herds. He says, you need to know where your money is going. He says, you need to know where, where your money is being spent and, 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 and what state you have of it. He says, you need to know it because riches are not forever because money has uh, the amazing ability to disappear. If you don't control your money, it will control you. And if you don't control your money, it will disappear. And Jesus taught, and the book of Proverbs teaches, that because money will just go away, you think, what happened? I just got paid. How did I run out of money? You know, if you don't have a plan uh, for your finances, 
then you're not going to succeed financially. Now, I realize that, you know, maybe some of you and haven't ever maybe written a budget or, or it's been a long time since you even thought about a budget. So I want to give you just some practical tips on how to write a budget because I think most people probably don't know how to write a budget. Then I, then I kind of want to shift gears and talk about something else still related to your budget. But let me just give you some practical tips. And if you're interested in maybe writing your first budget, I would write some of these down. Okay, let's just talk about what is a budget. A budget is, and this is probably going to be the most you know, technical of all the sermons in this series. Next week, we'll, we'll look at a lot more uh, Bible and, and kind of philosophy of money. But uh, a budget is this, income minus outgo, and it should equal zero. Now, income is basically what you make, you know, how much money do you bring home every month or every week or whatever, minus how much money you spend. Now, what this should equal, when you make a budget, it should equal zero. Now, some of you are thinking, well, why should it equal zero? You know, shouldn't it be, you know, a positive number? You know, because most people think like, okay, as long as I make, you know, more than I spend and I've got money left over, then I'm fine. But a proper budget, when done, when, when written out, should always equal zero. And I'll explain that to you in a second, okay? But let me say this about a budget. Make a written budget on paper. Write down, grab a piece of paper and a pen and write down, this is how much money comes in every month, this is how much money goes out every month, grab a calculator. I know some of you, you think you're smart and you're saying to yourself, I don't need a budget, I got it all up here. That's why you're broke because you don't got nothing up here. That's the problem, okay? You need to write it down. I'm not trying, I'm just messing with you, but you got to write it down, okay? You think, oh no, I know, I know how much money I've got, and I know how much this, and I know how much that. Look, if you don't write it down, you're going to mess up. You've got to write a budget on paper. So what's a budget? It's income minus outgo. It's what you make minus what you spend, and you want that to equal zero. You need to write it on paper, not in your head, and you need to make a budget every time you get paid. This is the tendency, and this is the tendency I had. When my wife and I, you know, this was maybe 12 years ago, decided, you know, we're going to get out of debt, and we're just going to quit living, you know, in bondage, and we're going to quit living paycheck to paycheck. You know, I sat down, and I wrote, I remember I spent like three weeks on this budget. And I thought I had the perfect budget. I thought, this is the budget. This is it. We're, you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I could have laminated the thing and put it on the wall, and I said, this is how we're going to live for the rest of our lives. And you know what I found out? There is no such thing as a perfect budget. And you have to write a brand new budget every single time you get paid and at least, at least once a month. And here's why. Every month is different. Guess what? Your budget for December is going to probably be different than your budget for October. Because there's a, a, a thing in December called Christmas that, you know, you got to go and buy all these gifts for people, right? I mean, you know, in our home, we've, we've got four kids. Two of our, our, our boys were both uh, born in September. My uh, sister's birthday is in September. We've got all sorts of things in September. Guess what? Our September budget looks different than our November budget. I mean, you know, just every month is different. And to have this idea like, I've got this perfect budget, it works out this way every single time, is not realistic. So you need to write a new budget at least once a month, but preferably every time you get paid. Now, for example, I get paid once a month, so I write a brand new budget once a month. Maybe you get paid every other week. Maybe you get paid every week. I would encourage you to write a budget every single time you get paid. Every time you get money, figure out a plan for that 
money. So, number one, a budget is income minus outgo, and it should equal zero. Number two, you need to write the budget on paper, not in your head. Number three, make a written budget every time you get paid, at least once a month. Number four, there is no such thing as a perfect budget. Every month is different. Number five, assign a place in your, in your written budget to every dollar. Okay? Assign a place in your written budget to every dollar. Every dollar on paper on purpose. All right? Now, here's what you understand. If you you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, you know, I I did my budget. I made, you know, just an example. I made $4,000 this month, and I, you know, we spent $3,300 or $3,500 or $3,700. We have $300 left. You know, that's good. No, that's not good because you know what's going to happen with those $300? It's going to sprout up wings, and it's going to fly away. And you're going to think, man, I thought we had an extra $300. Why did we bounce that check? You know, I, I, I thought we had this extra money. You know, what happened to it? Every dollar has to have a purpose. Now, listen, the purpose, once you get done paying all your bills and you say, okay, we've got $300 left over. We've got $500 left over. We've got $20 left over. Whatever it is. The purpose may be, you know, this money is going to get set aside for retirement or this money is going to get set aside for debt reduction or this money is going to get set aside for that vacation we're going on or this money is going to get set aside for us to go out and and have a nice anniversary dinner whatever that's fine just make sure every dollar has a purpose don't allow money to just float um, in your account or in your wallet because it is going to disappear so sign a place in your written budget to every dollar every dollar on paper on purpose Make it realistic. Hey, you kids in the front row, I need you to quiet down and just pay attention, all right? Make sure you make the money, real, your budget realistic, all right? If you get this idea that, you know, we're going to live off of $50 a week on groceries and you've got four kids, you know, it's just, that's not realistic. It's not going to happen, okay? So just make sure it's realistic. And with that, make sure that you allocate a portion of your budget to fun spending or recreational spending because here's, what, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go out to eat. Okay? Or you're, you're going to go out and do something fun. You're going to go get ice cream with the kids. And it's going to mess up your budget because you're going to make this perfect budget where every single dollar we're going to get out of debt and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, every, and there is no you know, additional spending on anything. And then you're going to stop at McDonald's once or in and out for the healthy ones, right? And, and, and it's going to mess up your whole thing. You're just going to say, ah, just forget it. And then you're just going to be at in and out every day. You know what I mean? So make sure you allocate some money and say, this is our spending money. This is the money we use to go get ice cream or the money we use to go get something to eat, you know, or the money we use to go do something fun with the kids. You want to make your budget realistic and you want to allocate money in your budget uh, for fun things, recreational things. You're not going to be able to just live, you know, this really structured life. So you want to allow for that uh, in your budget. Involve everyone who will be doing spending. Involve everyone who will be doing spending. Now listen, husbands and wives, you got to come together on this. Now we're a Baptist church and we believe that the husband is the head of the wife and that's what the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 if you're interested in studying that out and we understand that. But listen to me, guys. You can sit there and say, well, I'm the man, and I told her. Look, if she's doing the shopping and you don't let her know that this is how much money she's got for groceries, it's not going to work. And vice versa. Maybe the guy's just kind of, you know, just hands off, and the wife's got all these buttons, but you're not telling your husband this is how much money we've got for your lunch. He's going to go over it. It's going to mess everything up. So you want to involve everyone. If you're spending money, make sure you are involved in 
understanding what's in your budget, understanding how much money you've got for groceries or how much money you've got for spending or how much money you've got for this or that. Now, something that my wife and I use, and we've used it for years, was something that was taught by a man named Larry Burkett, who taught a lot about finances, and it's the cash envelope system. And I would encourage you uh, to do a cash envelope system. You say, what's a cash envelope system? The cash envelope system basically works like this. You grab a bunch of envelopes, and you write on one envelope groceries. Or the, I'll tell you, this is how we do it in our home. We, on one envelope, we write groceries. And on another envelope, we write spending. And on another envelope, we write you know, car repairs or whatever. And basically, when we do our budget once a month, you know, before I get paid, we'll figure out and say, okay, what's, you know, these are the bills, this is the mortgage, and this is how much we, you know, all the bills came at for this month, and this month we've got so-and-so's birthday, or this month we're going on this trip, so we got to put aside money for that. And basically, we'll figure out, here's how much we've got for groceries, here's how much we have for spending, here's how much we have for, you know, we got to go buy clothes or whatever. And here's what we do. We take the cash out of the bank account, and we put an envelope. Guess what? My wife gets an envelope with all the money for the groceries for the month. So she doesn't have to come and ask me, you know, for permission every time she goes to Bel Air, you know, do we have enough money for this? Because she already has all of the money that she needs to buy all the groceries for the month. You know, we don't have to worry about, you know, do we have money to stop by and get something to eat because it's late and it's Wednesday night, you know, whatever. We need to go get food. We've got an envelope with money. This is our spending money. This is the money we use to go out to eat. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the cash envelope system, okay? And this is what what happens because you say, well, I do that. I I tell myself, I tell my wife, I tell my kids, you know, we're going to spend this much money and then we spend way over that. But here's the beautiful thing about the cash envelope system. Let's say you put $200 in there for spending or whatever, you know, whatever your budget allocates for. And and you say, you know, it's Friday night and we're all just kind of tired. Let's go order a pizza. And you grab your little, you know, spending envelope and you open up that envelope and there's nothing in there. And you've already spent it all. Guess what? You don't order pizza. You cook that night, you know, or you do something. Because here's the thing. Once the money runs out, it runs out. And that way you don't ever go over. There's no, there's no you know, non-sufficient funds fees. There's no overdraft fees when you've got the money in an envelope allocated. This is grocery money. This is spending money. This is, you know, clothes money. This is car repair money. So you want to use the cash. And I didn't come up with it. A guy named Larry Burkett came up with it. But I think it's a great idea. Uh, you want to use a cash envelope uh, system uh, to be able to... Uh, do your budget. So let me just review these real quick. But a budget is income, uh, what you make minus outgo, what you spend, should equal zero. Now it equals zero because you're allocating a purpose to every dollar. Even if you say, well, I've got extra money, that's fine. Well, we're going to spend it on, on, on eating out. Well, allocate it for that. But make sure you control your money. Make a written budget on paper, not in your head. Make a written budget every time you get paid, at least once a month. There is no such thing as a perfect budget. Every month is different. And by the way, if you haven't been writing a budget every month, it's probably going to take you a few months to get it right. You know, so don't get frustrated. Just keep working with it. There's no such thing as a perfect budget. Assign a place in your written budget to every dollar. Every dollar on paper on purpose. Make it realistic. Assign a portion for fun recreational spending because you're going to do it anyway, so you might as well control yourself within that spending. Involve everyone who will be doing any spending. Uh, use cash and uh, cash envelopes, and that'll help you uh, stay within your budget. Okay. Now here's here's what you're gonna, what's going to happen. All right, you're going to go ahead and write that budget, and you're going to find one of two things. All right, some of you. You know, unless you're already controlling your finances well, if you're writing a budget, you probably 
already know this, but if you haven't been writing a budget, here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that you are spending more money in a certain area than you realized. And you're going to have to do something that our government has not figured out how to do. You're going to have to cut your spending, all right? Because unlike the government, you don't get to print your own money, at least not legally, right? So you're going to have to learn to cut your spending. Some of you are going to start looking at your budget. And and a great way to start is to go back and look at your bank statements for the last three to six months. Take a couple of highlighters and start highlighting. How much money have we spent out eating out? How much money have we spent on this or that? How much money do we spend on groceries every week? I don't even know. You know. And start figuring out. And here's what you're going to figure out. Some of you are maybe struggling financially. And the problem is not that you don't make enough money. is that you're spending your money in areas that you're not even aware of. And you're going to have to learn to cut your spending. Okay, go to the book of Hebrews. Let me share with you one verse. Hebrews chapter number 13, towards the end of the New Testament. Actually, if you start in the book of Revelation and go backwards, you have the book of Revelation. You've got Jude, which is one chapter. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, small books, 1st and 2nd Peter, James, and then you've got the book of Hebrews, all right? So James is right after Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter number 13 and look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 5. Notice what the Bible says. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Remember last week we learned that covetousness or coveting is a desire for something that doesn't belong to you or that you don't have. He says, look, let your conversation, and the word conversation in the Bible means your lifestyle or your manner of life. He says, your lifestyle ought to be without covetousness and be content. Remember the word content? The opposite of covet. Content means to be satisfied, to be happy. He says, and be content with such things as ye have. For he had said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And, and, the, and the, the, the spiritual application is here. Here is that God is with you, so that ought to be enough. You know, don't covet. The reason most of us, the reason we spend more than we make is because of covetousness and not being content with such things as we have. Go, go back to Proverbs. Can you get, make your way back to Proverbs? Look at Proverbs 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Look at verse 20. Proverbs 21. Look at verse 20. Proverbs 21 and verse number 20. Notice what the Bible says. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Now notice what it says. But a foolish man spendeth it up. See, a foolish man, the opposite of a wise man, doesn't control their finances, doesn't control their money. They're just spending their money like a drunken sailor. They don't know where things are going. A foolish man spendeth it up. So you're going to want to maybe cut back on your spending. Now, here's what I have noticed as... You know, dealing with people over the last five years, I've noticed, you know, people will ask me for financial advice, and I'll give them financial advice, and people will say to me, well, I just don't have anything I can cut, okay? And some of you are thinking that already, all right? I, you know, give me your bank statement. I'll find something for you to cut. <laughs> because what I've noticed is we're pretty biased about the thing, you know, most people don't realize the difference between a need and a want, and, and, and there's things you want and you think you need and you don't need, all right? Let me give you some, some areas where most people probably can cut things out. You can cut on eating out. 
Just stop eating out. Something my wife and I uh, will do. We used to do it a lot more than we maybe do now. We'll still do it now from time to time, but definitely when we were trying to get out of debt, we would, we would do what we call, and this isn't biblical, it's just something we made up, but we would do what we call the spending fast. We would say, you know, for the month of, you know, October, we're not going to go out to eat at all. We're not going to spend any extra money. You know, now you can't do that for six months or eight months. You know, you're, you're going to fail. But for one month, you could just say, we are on purpose just going to not spend any extra money. So, you know, something you could cut is eating out. Something you could cut, some of you stop at Starbucks every day. You can cut that. Some of you stop at Starbucks, you know, twice a day. You could definitely cut that, okay? You know, daily uh, coffee. Some of you can cut your shopping. Now, I know you ladies are going to get mad at me. But listen, could your family go for the next 12 months without buying any clothes? I mean, could you, and, and, and for some people, you know, you got a little one and they're growing every, every uh, you know, they're growing different sizes every two weeks. I get that, you know, maybe you need to, but, but for, especially for adults, I mean, could you, could you potentially just go without buying clothes for 12 months? I mean, especially if you're like me, I basically stopped growing when I was like 13, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I still got shirts from when I was in junior high school, you know? So, hey, could you stop just buying clothes or, you know... Could you maybe just stop buying new clothes? You ever heard of a thrift store? Now, some of you are thinking to yourselves, I, I would never go to a thrift store. Now, listen to me. I'm going to say this with as much love as I can muster in my heart. You're an idiot, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I would never go. Look, you, that is just, you're not smart, okay? I, I'm not, and I'm saying that as lovingly as I can. Thrifts, go buy used. Why in the world would you buy a brand new shirt for a kid that's going to outgrow it in a month? doesn't make any sense, okay? So buy, uh, you know, maybe you can cut your shopping. Maybe you can cut the thrift store. Some of you men, I'm, uh, your wife's going to hate me, but you need to just take that credit card away, all right? Because that's the problem. That's why you're not financially uh, stable. So there are things you can cut. Find something to cut. Cable. You can, if, look, if you're not paying your PG&E and you've got cable, you need to cut that. All right? I mean, honestly, find something to cut. Number two, there are things you can downsize. Some of you need to downsize back to a dumb phone. All right? It's just, do you really need that fancy phone? You really need that NASA, you know, computer in your back pocket? All you do with it is check Facebook anyway. Okay, downsize your phone. Some of you can downsize your car. Now, look, I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes, but just listen to me. Just listen to me for a second. I'd rather drive a 10-year-old paid-for car than your nice little luxury brand-new car that you're in debt for. And some of you, you say, I'm struggling financially. Sell the car. Buy a used car. You'll be fine. Downsize your car. Some of you can downsize your home. Again, and I'm not, look, I'm saying this lovingly. I'm not trying to. I would rather live in an 1,800-square-foot house with four bedrooms and three bathrooms in the ghetto than live in a fancy neighborhood while renting. It doesn't make any sense to me. And, I, you, got, and I, you get these people who say, I would never live in the ghetto. It's so dangerous. You know? Look, the Bible says that safety is of the Lord, number one. Amen. Number two, let, let me explain something to you about the ghetto. Okay? You only get shot in the ghetto if you're dealing drugs yeah. or if you're involved in gangs. You know, the funny thing is, for a Christian, I think, personally, the ghetto is the safest place to be. Because the gangsters don't mess with you. They actually respect you. They like you. You know where all the serial killers are? You know where all these kids are getting kidnapped? The nice neighborhoods. 
People say to me, like, oh, if the church grows, you're going to, you know, one day you're going to have this big church. You're going to go live in Granite Bay. I think to myself, I can't go live in Granite Bay. I got a wife and kids to worry about. That's where all the psychos are. You ever watch Dateline? It's true. I'm just saying, maybe, maybe you don't have to. Here's a quote. Most young couples spend the first five, and, five to seven years of their marriage trying to attain what their parents attained in 35 years. Listen to me. I'm a 30-year-old man, I think. My wife tells me how old I am. If I'm not 30, I'm real close. I'm a 30-year-old man with a wife, four kids, a dog, pastoring a thriving church, and I don't live in the neighborhood that my parents live or my in-laws live. And people get this idea like, I've got to live on the same street that my parents do. It took him like 40 years to get there. They're 50 years old. They've been at their job for like 30 years. Okay? Learn to be content with such things that you have. You can learn to downsize your phone. You can downsize your car. You can downsize your home. You can downsize different things that would help you get financially stable. You can cut things. Or you can quit things. Some of you need to just quit your smoking. A pack of cigarettes in California today is $5.25. So, you know, and here's the thing. There, I, I know of people that smoke a pack a day. But you say, well, I don't smoke a pack a day. Okay, you smoke a pack a week, that's $273 a year. You say, well, 273 that's not that bad. Over 30 years, if you make it that far because you're smoking, $8,190. I mean, what could you do with eight grand? Spend over 30 years on something that's just burning up and it's just affecting your health negatively? And the truth of the matter is, most of you have smoke, don't smoke a pack a week. You know, let's say you smoke two packs a week, $546 a year, $16,380 over 30 years. You, you just smoked away your car. You know, you, you can quit gambling. Gambling is bad, okay? The Bible teaches that the way you make money is by working. We'll cover that in a minute. So, some of you play the lottery. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to help you out. The lottery is a tax on people that cannot do math, okay? You are not likely to win. And even if you do, it'll ruin your life, okay? You notice all, you know, you look up all these people that win the lottery. It messes them up. Alcohol, you know, cable, drugs, you know, these are things that you need to quit. You need to stop. They're not good. There are areas in your budget that you can quit, that you can stop. You can cut your spending, and you can be liberated financially. Now, some of you are saying in your head right now, well, Pastor Manus, I've cut everything I absolutely can. I think to myself, okay, I don't think so, but sure. You know, but, for, but for some of you, honestly, the problem, you'll find when you do your budget, you'll find the problem is not cutting. The problem is I don't make enough money. And for some of you, you need to just learn to increase your income. You know, you, need to, you just need to make more money. Just the, the amount of money you make is not enough to support you and your family. Now, now, let me go down the list, okay? For some of you, that means get a job, okay? You, people say, well, I, you know, it's hard to get a job. When, when, you, when you're putting in one resume a week, I just put in a resume, Pastor. I'm going to wait three weeks to see if they call me back. You're not interested in working, okay? Go, here, here's some advice for people that, that, that aren't working. This was advice that was given to me, and I think it's good advice. Figure out how many hours you want to work a week. Maybe all you want is a part-time job, 20 hours a week. You ought to spend 20 hours a week working to get that job so that you can work 20 hours a week. If you need a full-time job, guess what? Getting a job is your job. 
You get up at 8 a.m., and for eight hours, Monday through Friday, all you do for eight hours, except for your 30-minute lunch break, is you look for work. That's how you get a job. Okay, and people have this idea. I want to work forty hours a week, but you're work, you're you're spending three hours a week trying to look for a job, and then you're scratching your head and wondering why you can't find work. Every everyone that finds work, you know, everyone that comes to our church and gets and gets work, their work at getting work. That ought to be uh, your job. So some of you need to get a job. Some of you need to get a better job. Some of you need a new career. Okay, some of you need to learn a skill or a trade. You're spending hours on Facebook every week. Hours on video games every week, hours on YouTube every week, hours on your television every week, when you should go pick up a book and learn something, and learn a trade, or learn a skill, or maybe you need to go to school, and I'm not, you know, I'm not against college, I don't necessarily advocate it either, maybe a trade school or whatever, but maybe you need to just go into a different career. Now, here's, when I, whenever I advise people... Like, hey, you need to just change careers. The career you're in is not good. You need to learn a skill. Here's the thing that people always say to me. That's going to take like five years. And here's what I always say to them. The five years are going to go by anyway. I mean, look, five years from now, you say, but that's going to be a lot of work, and I'm going to have to put a lot of extra time and this and that, and it's going to be hard. But listen, you could dramatically change your life in the next five years by just learning a skill learning a trade, going to school, making your hobby, learning a job that you can go get a better job. You can dramatically change your your life by just changing your income, by just going into a different career. And if you go to college, let me just give you some advice. Go to college for something that you can actually make money at. Okay? Everybody wants to go to college for their liberal arts major or whatever. Maybe you need to start a business. Now, again, you say, well, well, I don't know how to start a business or, I don't know, read a book, learn a skill, figure out what could I do? What could I do? What service could I provide that people would give me money to do? Now listen, learn from others who have started businesses. If there are people that have thriving, successful businesses, ask them, how do you do it? What do you do? Read books. And here's how you start a business, okay? And I'll, I'll tell you, this is how we, we started Verity Baptist Church. The Verity Baptist Church is in a business. It's a church. The Bible does call the ministry business, so uh, don't tell me that. But, you know, e- either way, it works either way. Here's how you do it, okay? You start part-time, and then you transition in. When I became a full-time pastor, you know, because for the first, like, three and a half years of, of, the, of us starting the church, I never took one penny from the church. I didn't get any money from the church. When the church finally began to grow a little bit to where it could pay, I didn't just go full-time because the money wasn't available. But here's what I did. We went part-time for the church, and I kept working a part-time job. And then we were saving some money to have a little bit of a cushion, you know. And eventually we made that transition. And if you're starting a job, you know, don't just quit your job, but start doing something on the side. Somebody was telling me you can drive one of those cars for Uber. I don't, I don't know. Do something, you know. Uh, start part-time and transition. Save money, uh, and it'll help you switch over. Go, go to 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. Let me share a few verses with you when we're done. I know that these sermons aren't really like preaching or whatever, but I think they're helpful. And Kids, you, you need to be, listen up, and you parents need to be teaching these things to your kids because, unfortunately, they're not being taught this in school. They're being taught a bunch of fairy tales about they came from an ape. They shouldn't be being taught how to work hard and how to manage their money and actually something they can do something with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse number 11. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 11. 
and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now, now, I want you to notice. Here's what the Bible says. When you work hard with your own hands, you'll have lack of nothing. That's what the Bible says. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. If, 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 if the United States of America had that philosophy, we'd have a whole lot of dead people. If any would not work, neither should he eat. Go back to Proverbs chapter 10. Let me give you one more verse. Proverbs chapter 10. Look at verse 4. Proverbs chapter number 10, verse 4. Proverbs chapter number 10, verse number 4. The Bible says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. The word slack, that's, a, that's a, where we get our word slacker. Someone who's lazy. He becometh poor that is lazy. Is basically what it's saying. That dealeth with a slack hand. But the hands of the diligent, the hands of the hard worker, maketh rich. The truth of the matter is this. There's money to be made out there. And maybe you're in a job or you're in a career and you say, well, it's just dead end or it's just it's not working or, you know, I've gone as high as I can and it's just not enough. I would encourage you, transition into a different job. Transition into a different career. Start a business. All of that is work. All of that is hard. It is diligent work, but God will bless you for it. And you don't have to, you know, honestly, you know, I would, if I was going to start a business, I'd just figure out, okay, what can I learn? What can I do? And people make all sorts of excuses. And here's what I think is funny. In the United States of America, we've got a whole lot of people coming from different countries who don't speak English, who, who don't know the culture, who, you know, don't have the odds stacked against them, but they have a desire to work and learn. And they go out, and I mean, these businesses are owned by people that have been in the country for two years. And, and those of us that were born here, you speak the language, you could read a book, you know how to go on the internet, and we can't figure out what to do. And these people are making thousands of dollars. You say, what's the difference? Some of them decided, yeah, it's going to be hard five years, but five years from now, it'll be worth it. And some people say, well, you don't understand. I mean, it'll take a lot of work to do that. Financial freedom and financial liberty comes to those who plan to live free. And if you just sit there and just keep waiting for something to happen, one day God's just going to let me win the lottery. (laughs) You're not going to succeed. Your biggest tool, your biggest weapon in the financial world is your income. Some of you may need to increase your income. Some of you make a lot of money. You don't need to increase your income. You just need to cut your spending and start realizing where your money is going and control your finances. Now, let me, let, me, let me make a couple statements about your income. And again, this isn't what I'm about to tell you is not in the Bible. It's not you can turn me off right now if you want. I just want to give you some advice as your pastor. I love you. So I just want to give you some advice. If you need to protect your income, if you do not have life insurance, you need to get life insurance right now. If you've got a wife and kids and you do not have life insurance, you need to go, I mean, get out of church and go make some phone calls. What will your wife do with your children if you get in that car and get in an accident and die? It's selfish not to have life insurance. You need to make sure you have life insurance to protect your family. You say, why are you saying that? Because I don't want to have to take care of your wife when you die, okay? I'm talking about the church, you know. I don't have to pay your bills, all right? Get life insurance. If you are 65 years old or older, 
you need to get long-term care insurance, okay? Nursing homes, as you get older, are expensive. You should not put that burden on your children who are 30 years old trying to raise a family. Get insurance to take care of yourself. That's what insurance is for. You say, prove it out from the Bible. I'm just trying to give you some advice. You do whatever you want. Here's a question I have for you. Are you living off a written budget, on paper, on purpose, every month? And I'm not, don't answer that a lot. I'm just saying, are you? That's probably the reason that you may be not succeeding financially as well as much as you think you should. If you don't, and I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you, don't begin the next month. Do not begin the next month without sitting down and writing down and figuring out how much money is coming in, how much money is going out, what's left over, where are we going to allocate this. Maybe here's the, you know, wow, I can't believe we spent $200 on, 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 on eating out last month. Hey, that, that'll pay for your life insurance right there. You know, I can't believe we just, you know, maybe you allocate it to debt. We're going to talk about savings and debt and all those things in the next weeks. But the question for you is this. Are you living on paper, on purpose? Do you have a plan for success with your finances? If you don't, you're going to fail. Let's buy